If you have your Bibles, please uh, open them to Isaiah 9. We're going to be dealing with uh, a couple of verses, verses uh, 6 and 7. And the children can be dismissed to their classes. And remember, they'll be in Carl 1 and Carl 2. Just uh, follow some of the adults that look like they know where they're going. Hopefully we'll get everybody there. As we begin, let's uh, come to the Lord's Word in prayer. Father, it truly is a joy to know you as our Lord and our Savior, and especially in this time of year, Lord, to focus upon your Son, Jesus, that child born so many years ago in such simple and humble circumstances, the God of the universe, a tiny baby. And Lord, as we uh, open your word this morning, we would pray that by your spirit, you give us wisdom and understanding of what that child came to do, and who he was, and what he was like, that we might focus upon him, and not upon all the circumstances surrounding our lives in this precious time. We praise you and thank you in his name. Amen. The book of Isaiah is uh, a marvelous book. I commend it to you. Um, scholars used to think that the book of Isaiah could not possibly have been written before Christ um, since it was so explicit uh, in the prophecies about Christ, uh, particularly in his birth and also about his crucifixion in Isaiah 52 and 53. Um, And then uh, early in this century, a little shepherd boy threw a rock into a cave and heard a clink and of course found the Uh, scrolls that were hidden away in the various jars there. And one of those scrolls was a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah, uh, written, we know, at least 400 years uh, before Christ. Uh, Isaiah actually lived about 700 years before Christ, but this scroll uh, can be dated at least 400 years before Christ. So these prophecies were written before the fact. And... uh, In this Christmas season, I wanted to focus upon two verses uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This passage tells us an awful lot. In just a few words, Isaiah told us about the character of that little child, about his kingdom, and about his purpose. First, the passage tells us about his character. Now, we don't equate those kinds of things in our culture today because a name to us is, in most cases, simply uh, a label. I labeled my daughter's name, gave her the name Karen Celeste. I was not a Christian at the time, 
uh, but Karen Celeste means hope of heaven. Um, and names used to mean something, particularly to the Hebrews. Uh, so when Isaiah says they shall call his name, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, Isaiah, God through Isaiah is telling us a tremendous amount of information about the character of that little child that was born and laid to rest in a manger. Barnes's note says his attributes shall be such as to make all these applications appropriate descriptions of his power and work to be called and to be in the Hebrew often mean the same thing. To be called and to be often mean the same thing. We need to keep that in mind as we look at these five attributes of the character of this child. They will call his name Wonderful. Barnes's notes, quoting a, a man by the name of Hingstenberg, says the proper idea of the word is miraculous. It imports that the personage here referred to in his being and his works will be exalted above the ordinary course of nature and that his whole manifestation will be a miracle. We use wonderful in a completely different context. We say when someone is nice to us, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, or we get a, a gift, oh, that is wonderful. But the idea in the Hebrew is that it's miraculous. Adam Clark says in his commentary, as God manifested in the flesh, he was wonderful in his conception, birth, preaching, miracles, sufferings, death, resurrection, and ascension. Wonderful in his person and wonderful in his workings. And wonderful is who God is. Yahweh, the God of the universe. In Judges 13, verses 1 through 18, the story of, of the birth of Samson, uh, when the angel uh, came to Manoah. Uh, Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, and remember that, that Malach Yahweh, that angel, the messenger of Yahweh, is Jesus Christ himself, a, what we call a pre-incarnation of God himself. And Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, what is your name? But the angel of Yahweh said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? He was wonderful in his conception. He was born of a virgin. It never happened before. Never happened again. Before Mary and Joseph came together, she was betrothed to him, Matthew says. Before they came together, she was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And, the, and God was... Uh, God the Son was conceived in Mary. He was wonderful in his birth. He was the God of the universe. He had all of the glory of everything in heaven was his. And yet he came to earth and was born in a stable and laid upon hay in a manger. Born of humble parents, a simple carpenter and a young virgin, though he was the king of glory. He was wonderful in his preaching. Though many deny him as God, over the centuries, virtually no one has denied the fact that his preaching was absolutely incredible. He was a great teacher, they say. He was an incredible person. 
But oh, no, he wasn't the son of God. They can't go that far. But he was wonderful in his preaching. They still marvel at his wisdom. He was wonderful in his suffering and death. He suffered for each and every sinner who is saved and died for each of us that we might live. When you think about the consequences of each and every sin, even if you only sin one little white sin, it would have required the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and God looking away from him, taking his his grace away from Jesus Christ so that Jesus would cry out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was wonderful in his resurrection. The tomb is empty. I've told many of you before, one of the, the books that was instrumental in my conversion was a book by Frank Morrison, Who Moved the Stone? And Morrison points out that if you look at the legal terminology, if you look at the laws of evidence, the fact that the tomb is empty is the greatest established fact in all of history. The early Christians were so overwhelmed, they didn't even celebrate the Sabbath until the the 4th century. I'm sorry, Christmas. They didn't even celebrate Christmas until about the 4th century. But the early Christians were so amazed that the tomb was empty that they greeted with one another with, He is risen. And the answer was, He is risen indeed. That, that idea that, that Jesus died and yet He was raised again was just amazing. It was wonderful. They will call His name Counselor. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3 says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Barnes' note says that the word counselor there is expressive of great wisdom and of qualifications to guide and direct the human race. Virtually every religion in the world, virtually all people in the world, acknowledge the wisdom of Jesus as a counselor about life circumstances. Even if they won't acknowledge him as the Son of God, They say he was a great teacher. He taught all these incredible things. You can listen to him and and his words are good. They will call his name Mighty God. In Hebrew, Il Gabor. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For Yahweh, your God, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God. Yahweh is El Gabor. Isaiah 10, 20 and 21 says, Now it will come about that the remnant of Israel will truly rely on Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return to El Gabor, the Mighty One. People say that uh, Jesus was a great person. He was a great teacher. He was a good man. 
But he wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't God. And yet Scripture very, very clearly teaches us that Jesus was El Gabor. He was Yahweh, the name that God gave to himself when he appeared before Moses in the burning bush and, and told Moses to go lead my people out of Israel. And Moses says, wait a minute, you know, if they ask me who sent you, who shall I say? And God answers with, tell them, Yahweh sent you. And that name was so uh, uh, holy to the Jews, they wouldn't even pronounce it. When they came to it in the, in the scriptures, they would substitute the word Adonai, my Lord. They were so afraid of taking the name of the Lord in vain. And very clearly, Jesus, this little child, is El Gabor, the great and mighty God, Yahweh himself. Jeremiah 32, verse 18 says, O great and mighty God, El Gabor, Yahweh of hosts is his name. Someone has pointed out that the Hebrew word Isaiah, the Hebrew word El, is always used of God, of Yahweh. El can be used in other contexts of other gods, but in Isaiah it's always used of Yahweh. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and this is his name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. You see, El Gabor, Yahweh, the great and mighty God, is the God of righteousness. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That little child's name was Yahweh, our righteousness. And it is only in Him, clothed in His righteousness, that any of us can stand before God the Father. When you come before God, you will come in one of two ways. You will come dressed in your own righteousness, which the Bible says are filthy rags. Falling off of you, rotting, showing your nakedness. Or you will come dressed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, the mighty God. They will call his name Eternal Father. Literally, the Hebrew says the Father of Eternity. You see, God is eternal, He is without end. He is infinite. He is without limits. There is nothing that constrains God. Not time, not space, not anything constrains Him. And Jesus is the eternal God. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and even forever. They will call His name Prince of Peace. Literally, the Prince of Shalom. Hebrew word. The Hebrews greet one another with it. Shalom. But it means a lot more than peace in the way we use peace. We think of peace as a, a cessation of hostility. Uh, people aren't banging one another in the head or slapping one another. But shalom means much more than that. It means complete blessing. It means complete health. It means complete, peaceful existence without stress. 
Boy, what a joy that would be in our world today, right? <laughs> Peace without stress. Jesus Christ, that little child, brings peace between men and peace between God and man. Ephesians 2, verse 14 and 16 says that Christ Jesus is Himself our peace who made both, both Jew and Gentile, is what Paul is talking about in that letter to the church at Ephesus. He made both Jew and Gentile one and broke down the enmity the hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. There was enmity between the Israelites and the hoi polloi, the others, the Gentiles. And yet what Jesus came to do was to unite the two into a new Israel, into the body of Christ, into the church, the true Israel, to break down that wall of enmity, that hostility. We're studying Revelation in the Wednesday night Bible study now. And uh, people have pointed out that that Revelation is talking about uh, the, the persecution of the Christians. And what's interesting to note there is that the Hebrews, the Israelites, killed more Christians than the Romans did. There was an incredible hostility between Israel and the Gentiles. But that little child came to break down that hostility and bring the two together into one body in Christ through the cross. The passage tells us about his character and the passage tells us about his kingdom. His kingdom is eternal and peaceful. Verse 7 says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. We've done pretty well in this country since shortly after 1776 we've been pretty much at peace and then there have been a couple of world wars and a couple of police actions and a couple of minor skirmishes. But by and large, we've been at peace in this country. That's not true in much of the world. We've had some pretty good leaders over the, over the years. Guys like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. You could name a whole bunch of them. Ronald Reagan and other presidents. You know, they've been pretty good guys. But you see, the problem with earthly leaders is that they are finite. They die. They go away. No matter how great they are, no matter how good at keeping the peace, no matter how good at building up our country and making us feel good about ourselves, they die. Anyone you depend on other than God will eventually go away. I spent 20 years in a Navy submarine force. The submarine crews depend not only on one another, but they depend upon the captain to be their example, to be their leader, to know what to do in an emergency. They depend upon it. I was on a submarine called Plunger, and the captain's Actually, a pretty good friend, as much as you can be in a military situation. Uh, my wife 
he were real good friends, buddies, and his wife. Uh, so I knew him much more intimately than most of the people in the crew. I got transferred off of Plunger, and the following week, I believe it was, they were in overhaul in Mare Island in California. And they took the ship out on sea trial. They were about four miles outside the Golden Gate in an area known as the Potato Patch. An area where the bottom shoals up very, very rapidly and the, the huge waves come in from, swells come in from the northwest and they hit this area and the winds are cross and the, and the sea begins to get really tumbly and you get big, huge waves. And the officer of the deck, uh, who was a lieutenant, and the junior officer of the deck, a Lieutenant J.G., were up on the bridge on this uh, submarine, and it's a uh, small sail submarine. It only has a sail about 20 to 25 feet up in the air. Uh, had a one-inch plexiglass windshield in the front. And, uh, the lookout was a first-class sonar technician that had been in my division. I was a sonar officer. And the captain was standing up on top. And suddenly, there was a wave that broke on top of the submarine, some 20 plus feet up in the air. Broke a one inch plexiglass windscreen, took the officer of the deck over the side and the captain over the side. The junior officer of the deck grabbed the officer of the deck by the ankle as he went by him and hung on. The sonar technician was just starting to go down the, the hatch into the, into the submarine. And it, the water just drove him into the hatch. Didn't hurt him, fortunately. The captain went overboard. The junior officer of the deck pulled the officer of the deck back on board and yelled on the announcing system, man overboard. And the engineer was uh, in the control room and he immediately got on the periscope and swung around. And there was a captain in the water with his hands up. I couldn't tell what he was saying. Here I am, come get me, or help, something's wrong. And he went under. They never found him. In an instant, he was gone. And the point is that no matter who you depend upon, they can be gone just that quickly. Only God, only Jesus Christ, is infinite and eternal. Only he can be depended upon. Only the eternal king is worth your trust. He will never leave you if you trust in him. His kingdom is one of justice. He will establish it and uphold it with justice. Verse 7. The problem with any earthly kingdom or justice system is that it will be and usually is corrupted by sinful men. No matter how good the government is, sooner or later, sinful men are going to get in there and they're going to mess it up. Only Jesus Christ is truly just in all his judgments. His kingdom is righteous. The word means proper or objective or moral judgments. And Jesus does not rule by emotion. Most of us judge the circumstances by emotion. I spent three years as a police officer in Orlando, Florida. I've been in court a lot. 
And even though we say in our justice system that we judge by the facts, the fact is that most of us look at the facts through our own grid, through our own emotions. Jesus does not do that. He rules by holy, righteous judgments. And his kingdom will be established by the zeal of Yahweh. Literally, the glowing fire is what it says in Hebrew. The glowing fire of Yahweh will establish the kingdom of that little child. Kyle and Delich in their commentary says, uh, it's two-sided. The fire of love has for its obverse the fire of wrath. I think that zealous fire there, glowing fire there, is a, is, a, is a reference back to the Shekinah glory cloud that we see in the Old Testament. We're going through Exodus in Sunday school now. And, and when you see Israel in the desert, and here was this column of fire and column of cloud representing the legs of God standing in the midst of his people. And during the day, that, that column of cloud would overspread all of Israel and give them protection from the sun. And at night, the fire would, would give them light so that they could travel even in the dark. And you remember, if you've read through it recently or you were in the class, as Israel came out of, of Egypt and Pharaoh's hordes were following them, Israel had light. And Pharaoh had darkness. And then came the glowing fire just before the sea collapsed over the hordes of Pharaoh. You see, there's blessing involved, but there's also curse in the judgments of God and in his kingdom. The passage tells us about his character. The passage tells us about his kingdom. And the passage tells us about his purpose. The purpose of his birth was to demonstrate to us the love of God and to demonstrate how we should be as his people. He was born in humility. Jesus Christ set aside the glory that was his as the God of heaven and took on human flesh and came and was born in a stable and lived his life as a carpenter's son and as an itinerant preacher. We, likewise, must set aside our pride and behave toward others in a humble way. Most of you have heard me talk before about the real sin in the garden. It wasn't the idea that the fruit was so good or it was so beautiful or it was so tasty. The real temptation from Satan was to, to Eve was, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. You see, that's the basis of all sin. Is thinking, I can be like God. I can know what's good and bad for me. I can know. Instead of listening to what God's Word says. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. I tell people in my counseling, we need to live our lives by priorities. 
situation that you find yourself associated with, you can look at it with five priorities. First is God. No matter what, you can't serve God and whatever is not God, you must serve God. That's got to be number one priority. If you're married, your spouse is number two priority. If you're not married, or if you are married, number three is everybody else. Your family. Number four, everybody that's not your family. Number five, me. Most of us live our lives somewhat differently, don't we? You put me number one, looking out for number one, I believe it was a book years ago. Most of you are probably too young to even remember that one. <laughs> but the focus is on me. And yet Jesus did not do that. The passage goes on to say, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You hear that? Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that's what you and I need to understand. That we need to turn away from the temptation of Satan and not want to be like God. Equality with God is not a thing to be grasped. We need to turn away from that. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That little child emptied himself of the glory that was his in heaven and humbled himself to live for us. In that small child, the Word of God became flesh. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And in Greek it actually says, And God was the Word. And John 1.9 teaches that He was the true light, which comes into the darkness. And John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The Word, God who was the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us, like that Shekinah glory, standing in the midst of His people, Jesus Christ is wherever any two or three are gathered in His name. That little child came to tell us what God was truly 
life. And we are His witnesses. We have been commanded by God to spread that good news, that evangelism, to those who are still in darkness. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surprising greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Paul is saying we are cracked clay pots. We are something that no one would use for something uh, of honor. And yet, God has chosen to give us the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. His word. He has put it in our hearts. And we should be out there telling other people about Jesus Christ and the incredible thing that he has done. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we act as ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The Apostle Paul is saying, because God has given you this incredible treasure, you are an ambassador, whether you think so or not. You have a word from the great king himself to bring to this dark and dying world. You have this incredible treasure to spread the good news. And Paul, the apostle who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, was not so ashamed that he could not say, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. How many of us would talk to our unbelieving family, our unbelieving neighbors, our unbelieving co-workers, and get them off to the side after we've built a relationship with them and tell them about Jesus Christ and say, we beg you. Be reconciled to God. Because you see, just like the leaders that could be swept away in an instant, unbelievers, can be taken in a heartbeat. And when an unbeliever walks out the door after you've presented the gospel, neither you nor that unbeliever knows whether they're going to live another hour, day, or week. It's imperative that we talk to others about Jesus Christ. That little child came to tell us what God was like and that little child came as our Savior. Luke 2.11 The angel said to the shepherds, For today, in the city of David, was born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah, Christos, the Anointed One, the Lord. God sent a Savior because we all need saving. If we didn't, He wouldn't have sent a Savior. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who seek after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Because of sin, you and I were all hostile to God. Every thought was against God, whether we realized that or not. And Jesus Christ, that little child, grew up to be nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. That little child came to earth to suffer the eternal wrath of God for your sin and my sin. That little child broke down the wall that your sin and my sin erected between us and God and other men. And only that little child can bring you into the presence of the eternal Father dressed in His righteousness. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way to the presence of God. And that is through that little child. That wonderful, miraculous little child. That incredible counselor. That mighty God. This Christmas season, as you remember the birth of that little child, instead of trusting in presents and lights and festivities, and the things that you have done this year, will you trust completely in the only one who is our only Savior? Will you promise to love, honor, and obey the one who loved us enough to suffer and die for us, to put aside his glory, and who took on human flesh as a helpless child, do you love, honor, and obey the one who loved us enough to suffer and die for us? Let's pray. Father, truly that birth was an incredible and amazing event. But even more incredible and amazing than one was the fact of what that little child came to do. Even more incredible and amazing than his death on the cross. And even more wonderful and amazing than that was the fact that he came to And I pray that you would call each and every one.